to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have with me Martin Turkey Gobbler Willis. That's right. Gobble, gobble. gobble, yeah. gobble. Karen <laughs> thought that would be a cute one because uh, it's Thanksgiving, and uh, she figured you will be gobbling up turkey in a couple days. <laughs> well, uh, as I mentioned before the show, it's my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in the word. You're, you're, you're thankful. And, you know, people are in good moods. It's just a, it's a great time for family and get-togethers and all that. I just love it. I have a little bit of a love-hate um, for it just because of the food uh, that in oh, particular. Yes. I love, you know, the food, but I hate it because I eat too much. It usually only lasts a short period of time because yeah. I inhale a large <laughs> amount of food in a short period of time, and I'm done. And it's like, oh, I'm yeah. stuff I can't even fit anything else in. And that's it. Yeah. Well, this is the first year that I've given up sugar that I'm oh, going to be eating really? things. It's going to be really, you know, I love me some pecan pie. Yeah. It's but that's a, a good thing to give up. You know, Karen's been yeah, on keto. And I think I'm going to do it too because uh, carbs and the sugar. And I think the sugar in particular, uh, if you have body pain, like many of us old people do, like I have you know, back pain. I've talked mm -hmm. about that on the show. Um, but she has foot and back pain and it's really gotten better since she's, she's, uh, done this. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's another benefit. I was unaware of that one. Mm -hmm. So, and that was not the primary reason she went on the diet. It was for, you know, to lose weight. Uh, but these were benefits and then she's actually got more energy, um, uh -huh. yeah. a better, a better mood. <laughs> so yeah it's uh, been a very positive she, thing she must be wandering around behind you somewhere i don't um, know where she's like yeah. in the kitchen or something so i've got to be yeah. careful i'll keep it down yeah so yeah that's cool so that's that so this is a happy time of year for you right i like it yeah so uh i my guest today i think you've had him too but it was so pleasant i love this uh kelvin parker Oh, my goodness, yes. I love Calvin. He's wonderful. He's so fun, and he is a fisherman through and through. Yeah. He uh, fished before – he, like, got back from fishing, did the interview, and then went back to fishing. Um, his whole event in Pascagoula, this, this thing he experienced, uh, was when they were going out to go fishing. Um, he is yes. a true fisherman. He is, and what he's just a nice, nice gentleman. Mm -hmm. Such yeah. a fine gentleman, and uh, I understand he's going to be doing a conference. Yes, and he point. will be at the International UFO Conference as I well. I can't wait to meet him. I yeah. know. It's going to be a lot of fun to meet him, 
And uh, we're really lucky that we're going to have him there because he said he only, you know, because Philip Mantle talked him into you releasing this book and then writing a new one that uh, he's he has hidden from the spotlight and stayed away from this UFO stuff. He's recently now come out and he only he says he's going about a year, you know, he's giving it and it's already been several months. Yeah, he's going to do a. Uh, some interviews, and then the the Congress, and then that's it, and he's going he's back putting to, it to bed, just that's fishing. Right. I, I initially got um, Calvin connected to Philip in uh, that whole situation, because Calvin was you starting did. to write a book on, yeah, he was starting to write a book on his own, and I connected the two together. I was so glad of the way that all turned out. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow, because uh, Philip had contacted us a while ago, because we have the... Uh, Wendell Stevens archives and Wendell Stevens had written a book on the Pascagoula event and mm-hmm. uh, so he had asked us if he could uh, reprint that now we didn't I wasn't so sure we had the rights but I helped him out and eventually he did secure all the rights he needed and he did reprint the Pascagoula book that Wendell Stevens had written but um, while that was going on, I had assumed that it was through that that he had gotten a hold of Calvin Parker, but no, it was you. I just just because I was in touch with him. Yeah, that's and, cool. Uh, and I saw that uh, Philip was looking to do something, so I connected the two together basically, and mm-hmm. I was really glad the way it turned out. Wow, that Excellent. is really neat. Yeah, way to go, yeah. buddy. All right. <laughs> well. Yeah, so this is a great interview. I had a ton of fun doing it. Uh, so I hope everybody, all the listeners, have a ton of fun listening to it. So that's the guest for today. That's excellent. I can't wait to listen. I, you know, I, he's been on. He was on my show twice, and both times was just as entertaining. Cool. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to be listening to this one. Cool. So let's get into UFO news. And I do have a, kind of some big news, but you can do it first, yours first, if you want. Well, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes. Oh, on that's this okay one. if you are. Go for it. Okay. Well, this is uh, this has to do with um, uh, you. You talked about it on my show last week, but mm. it has to do with. Uh, I, I was getting a lot of email. There's a lot of uh, info, a lot of news out there about this, and this was uh, multiple pilot airline pilots, mm. commercial pilots saw um, a very high-speed, unidentified object over Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm uh, gleaming this from the uh, war zone, uh, yeah. from a former guest of yours, uh, Tyler uh, Rogaway and Joseph Trevithick. I don't know exactly how to pronounce his uh, name. But anyway, it's a great article, and it, it kind of goes into um, the details of it. And so I'll just uh, read a little bit of that in the pre-dawn hours of November 9th. Um, this last uh, just a week and a half ago or so, about uh, 45 minutes before sunrise, at least three different airline airline is flying over the coast of southwestern Ireland, reported seeing multiple identified objects. Now, they were like a bright light and going fast. And a, a lot of people, uh, well, actually, one of the pilots, if you listen to the audio, he speculates that it, it's almost like something reentering the earth atmosphere like uh, space junk or something like that and multiple pieces because that's kind of what you see but um, this does not act like that as a matter of fact it appears to be flying alongside um, one of these airliners and then it appears to take off and 
I believe it's either one or two people claim that they saw it climbing. So um, that's one thing that uh, the trajectory would not do from anything coming down from space. It would not, you know, climb to a, you know, higher altitude. So I think this was uh, a really good one. There's, um, there's audio, like I said, on it. Uh, that's also available on that website. And it's a uh, Virgin 76 um, pilot um, and two, I think it's two or three others uh, talking about it. And one is saying something like, boy, I'm glad it, I'm not the only one seeing this. Or he was just glad that he wasn't alone seeing that. And, and anyway, um, so the war zone contacted the Irish, um, let's say it's a three initial um uh, organization like the R RFAA, and they basically wrote back, uh, the defense forces do not disclose their operational procedures for operational security reasons. This incident is a matter for the Irish Aviation Authority, and that's how they end it. So he was not able to get any information out of them. And it, so it stands, as far as I know, it stands as that and uh, most likely an unknown. Yeah, there's been a couple suggestions because one of the pilots had said uh, that it looked like a meteor. Uh, but like you said, uh, the other said it had moved away. Um, but they also uh, they had mentioned how fast it was going. And right. uh, it is possible there is a type of meteor where they, if they're coming in at not a steep enough angle where they'll come in, They'll burn and then they'll skip off the atmosphere and head back out. So that's really? a possibility that wow. uh, some people have been suggesting. But um, otherwise, uh, yeah, yeah, really interesting case. And I'm, I'm still not even sure how all the audio got out because uh, in this story that you mentioned on the war zone, there is you know, the audio from the pilots, which is mm -hmm. really interesting uh, because, as you mentioned, the Irish um, Aviation Authority is investigating and, and they are making it sound as though they don't feel like sharing anything. Right. Um, you know, they said that there it was their procedure not to disclose their information their their investigation so i guess we'll see what happens but yeah this sighting has definitely caught the attention of media around the world and it is mm -hmm. a very interesting one absolutely and i just wonder if if that's kind of going to be the end of the story i i suppose it would be no matter what conclusion they come up with um because I don't know what type of research, if there are researchers in Ireland that are into, you know, that research things like this into the UFO topic. Or I not. have a feeling that this one will not be the end, that we will hear more. And the reason I feel that way is that the media is paying such close attention uh, mm. and they'll probably continue to uh, very good reporters out there such as Tyler Rogaway uh, who wrote this article will probably keep on this they've he's already made requests so he probably will in the future so depending on what they find especially if they discover that it or conclude that it's something mundane I think that mm -hmm. they will feel then uh, 
that it would be good for them to say something. So I could see them saying, oh, we did determine that it was a meteor that skipped off the atmosphere or something like that. Uh, if we don't hear anything, then maybe they're having a harder time explaining what it is. So I don't know. I have a feeling that we will hear something in the future. Possible we won't, but uh, I bet keep people will keep on it. And, you know, for any listeners who are very interested or if you're in the UK or Ireland, because typically governments do pay more attention to their own citizens. We've seen that mm. in the past. You know, mm -hmm. keep on them. Keep making requests and uh, maybe put it on your calendar for in a month to follow up uh, and see what they say. Good idea. Mm -hmm. And, of you, course, we'd love to hear from you. Yes, and, of course, we'd very much love to hear if you get a response. So, And we definitely will be updating our listeners should we be aware of any response coming to light in the future. And, I, yeah, right. like I said, I have a feeling, especially Rogaway is really good. Even if he uh, comes across any updates, I think he'll update. So we'll keep an eye on that and let people know. And this is like the third, uh, actually, I think it's the third or fourth uh, story that he's written on uh, yes. such such encounters. Right. And we know, oh, you know, from our yeah. interview that you had mentioned earlier that uh, he now feels more empowered to write about uh -huh. UFOs ever since the Pentagon UFO study. And certainly the media, I think many people across the media feel the same way. And what I always you know, think of when I think of his interview is the comment that he made, which was that everyone in aviation is interested in UFOs, whether they admit it or not. Oh, I love it. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty extraordinary coming from somebody yeah, it is devoted his life to writing about all this. Right. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So the story I was talking about, is actually my latest story from Den of Geek, which posted this morning, which is about Jeremy Corbell's upcoming movie uh, about Bob Lazar. And what's so great about this? We all knew that this documentary is coming up. Well, there's two aspects. I don't know that everybody knew that Mickey Rourke is the guy who is narrating it. And, really? um, oh. yeah, so, and I posted a brand new video. In fact, we are the first to post this trailer at Den of Geek, and I do have it posted at openminds.tv as well. Uh, the new trailer for Bob Lazar, which literally just came live a couple hours ago, uh, which has the narration from Mickey Rourke. And you got to see this new trailer because it's really, really good. I mean, you can't watch this trailer without walking away very intrigued whether you believe Lazar or not so uh, yeah really really interesting and the way I wrote it <laughs> in the article let's see if that line even um, I haven't even been able to review because I just posted the article on Den of Geek um, oh yeah they did leave it in so here's the line that I used in it, Rourke's gravelly voice fits the topic well. He sounds like a video game character in an Area 51 first-person shooter who has gone through hell. And huh. that's what it reminds me of. I don't know if people remember. I don't, there was a video game that was huge, and I can't remember what it was. And it was kind of like Gordon was the name of the character because I remember people saying it. But hmm. uh, um, it was this scientists like at an area 51 top secret type of place and everything goes wrong 
and he's got to fight his way out with all these monsters and stuff. It was a one of the first real big first-person shooters. Um, and that's what it really reminds me of, because Mickey Rourke kind of sounds like this. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. That's not Bob bad. Lazar <laughs> lives in Las Vegas, and he had to drive. He flew out to Area 51 <laughs> on the Janet Airlines. <laughs> You know, so yeah, it, he's perfect for the narration, and and I think Mickey Rourke has been through hell, so I think. Oh, uh, uh, he yeah, he's kind of looks that way anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, I remember. I think one of my favorite movies with him. Did you ever see Rumblefish? I think so. I can't. I that sounds real familiar. Yeah, really good. It was a Brian De Palma, one of his very early, maybe even student film. No, well, not student, but it, like one of his first films. It was a precursor to uh, the one something boys. I can't remember his big one. Very stylistic with like uh, Ralph Macchio, and uh, mm-hmm. I think you know lots of these guys. It was their first time. Martin Sheen. There's a lot of the Outsiders. Yeah, the Outsiders. Oh, the Outsiders. Yeah. So this Rumblefish was kind of a precursor to that. Similar, very stylistic, black and white, really good. But Mickey Rourke was in that, and he was, he was great. But, um, yeah, so this trailer. Now, on, I have a full story at Den of Geek that people can read on it. And then at OpenMinds.tv, I kind of have a short story that links to my full story. But at that link, I also have information on OpenMinds.tv. I have another clip Jeremy gave me. That shows Jeremy working with Mickey Rourke. So that's a lot of fun. I have a Mm. quote from Mickey Rourke on UFOs. And I have information and even a discount on going if you're in the L.A. area or want to get out to L.A. to see the premiere of the Bob Lazar documentary in L.A. There are tickets available and you can do that. And I've got information on on how to get your tickets at a discount at openminds.tv. You know, I've, uh, I've been on the fence about Bob Lazar for a long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I asked, I had Jeremy on my show. I know you have him on your show a number of times. And, you know, I asked him, how does he feel about it? And he says he, he believes him a hundred percent. Right. Uh, so I guess, you know, that's where the dedication to his hard work, you know, comes in. He believes him. Um, and the out of everything I've heard and everything I've looked into when it comes to Bob Lazar, I guess I would have to say that my strongest inclination to believe um, either some of the story or or I don't I can't say I believe all the story, but some of the story is that George Knapp thinks there's really something to it. Yeah. And I totally respect George Knapp. So I that's agree. kind of how I look at it. You know, uh, with Lazar or nap is is a big deal to me and that's really why i'm so on the fence still with all of this is that uh is because of george nap george nap thinks that otherwise i wouldn't believe it at all i mean right. he's been caught in a couple things even nap will agree that he's probably not been truthful about his educational background because that's verifiable mm-hmm. However, what gives Nat pause is that he says he has heard from anonymous people uh, at Area 51 
that, you know, there's something to what Lazar is saying. And he knows Lazar very well. And he says he really comes across as someone believable. So that all makes me think also that and it makes me, you know, puts me on the fence. I have a video at Open Minds TV that I call Area 51 and Aliens, Another UFO Disinformation Scandal Question Mark. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go over some of my thoughts on the case related to other disinformation that we know has been out there. And really, I'm not making any conclusions at all. I'm just asking questions and kind of, you know, going through the whole case. So uh, I hope people watch that. We've got like, I've got quite a few people looking at it. Some people have gotten really mad, of course, that I even mm-hmm. suggest that. And some, you know, are like, oh, he's totally full of it. But uh I, I, you know, at least I go through it. I still feel the same way as when I recorded that video. Um, it's so curious. Now, is your your take as him uh, being used as dis- disinformation or disinformation about him? No, I think him being used and or, yeah, and, and I guess question, and here's why. We have this gentleman called Richard Doty who did put out disinformation. Mm-hmm. He admits that to this day. He says, yes, that's what I did. He, yep. Richard Doty left um, the Air Force and then went to become a police officer. Oh, this is really weird. So I'm on my story of Den of Geek right now. And you know uh-huh. how I was talking about that video game? Yeah. I guess there's a new version, and literally this video pops up with that game. It was called Half-Life. That was ah. the name of the game. So uh, they're showing images right here on Den of Geek of Half-Life. That's really weird. I haven't heard it's of that irony. game forever. Mm. But anyway, um, that Doty never got in trouble publicly that we know of, even though mm-hmm. what he did, as Alexander makes a point, was a crime uh, and, you know, he was if he was do, dis, get, feeding disinformation to the public at the behest of the government, you're not supposed to do that. But he never got in trouble. Bob Lazar also did not get in trouble. Not only that, he allegedly has had uh, government contracts. Oh, uh, for his. Uh, yeah, what he for does his now. science mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. So that's all very strange. Why did they not get in Mm. trouble? Why are they still working with the government? Uh, And then I go over the kind of the types of claims and stuff too. So yeah, I think that that is a possibility that we just can't rule out. We can't rule out. uh, Personally, I haven't ruled out any possibility, but I think that's a possibility uh, that's out there that we have to consider. Now, do you, do you think that when this movie comes out and people watch it, do you think they're going to be swayed to believe uh, I, you know, I don't know. You know, I haven't seen it yet. And mm. uh, uh, luckily, I, I will be able to very soon here. And I'll let you know then, I guess. I'll let you know next week. I I would assume yes, because it's very compelling to hear, hear from a witness, you know, firsthand. Right. And I know uh, just... Here, we're almost out of time. Wanna, but, I know we uh, are. We only have a, a minute uh, and a half. You probably want to talk about the screening? Yes. Because... Uh, I know Sam Morano wanted to say thank you for we mentioned his name and oh, he yeah. was involved in one as well. Yeah. So the screening. Oh, what was your question though? Real quick. No, no. Just uh, I thought well, we only have a minute left if you wanted to talk about the screening. Oh, you were going to bring that up. Great. Yeah. So we're both thinking the same thing. 
Yeah, so I did get to go screen Blue Book, the first couple episodes. They put them together, and unfortunately, I guess the episodes are only going to be half an hour each. It was huh. really good. It reminded me of Bryce Zabel's Dark Skies show a oh, yeah. bit, more mm-hmm. so even than uh, X-Files, and I thought it would be more X-File-ish. But since it's historic, you know, they're going into the past, it's more like... Uh, it's more like Dark Skies. The CGI and the re- reenactment are really great. It is overly dram- dramatized, which is, of course, it's a television show, so that makes sense that they would do that. And there mm-hmm. are a little bit of facts that are off, like, you know, they, they allude to Hynek starting with the Air Force in 1952 when Blue Book started. He actually started in 1947. Him coining the phrase UFO, he didn't, but the Air Force did. It was Rupelt, uh, Colonel Rupelt of Blue Book, who actually really coined the phrase. But mm. little stuff like that. Otherwise, really, really good. I really like it. I'll be writing a preview for Den of Geek here soon, so I'll probably have that up in the next week. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was pretty cool. Great. Great. And I know we're out of time. And we are out of time. Out of time. So thank you, Martin of Podcast UFO, for joining us with the news. You're very welcome, sir. After this short break, we will be back with Calvin Parker. I am very happy to welcome to the show, and I've actually been excited to, to have this interview for quite some time, but I've got Calvin Parker with me of what is known as the Pascagoula Incident. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good, especially right now. I'm so excited to talk to you. But um, where do you currently live? I live in Moss Point, Mississippi. That's about six miles from Pascagoula. Mm-hmm. We're all- and by boat, it's 25 minutes to where the abduction happened. So you're pretty close. I'm close, yes, uh-huh. sir. Matter and, of fact, mm-hmm. that's a lot of the reason that I moved here was uh, to see if I could see anything different or anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So had you left the area for a period of time during your life? I did, and I moved back here in uh, 2005. Mm-hmm. And, and that's about the time Katrina hit. And it just happened to mess up everything. You know, we got eight foot of water in our house, so we lost everything. Oh, no. But we did get moved back to the coast, and it's been great ever since. Mm-hmm. Well, good. So you talked about, uh, you know, the distance to the site by boat uh, because you, it seems, think in fishing terms because you're still an avid fisherman. Every day. Well, I used to fish every day till this till this book came out, mm-hmm. and now I had to cut it back to about two to three times a week. But before then, it was an everyday deal fishing. Mm-hmm. And fishing is kind of how you got in this trouble to begin with. That's exactly the way that it started. So Charles uh-huh. Dixon and myself, you know, was fishing when this happened. So. Yeah, maybe we can start off, I guess, describing what had happened. So you and Charles Hickson, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about him. Um, it all started when you decided to go fishing. That's exactly right. I had actually just moved down from Laurel, Mississippi, which is 109 miles from here, and took the job. My first day on the job was October 11th of 73. 
and somebody asked me the other day what happened. I said, well, I got abducted, I got examined, and I got fired all on the same day. Oh, so, I didn't know about the firing part, I guess. Well, um, actually, it wasn't firing. It was just me wanting to leave. Mm-hmm. But right. So how did you make, meet Charlie Hickson and, um, yeah, and get started on this job? Uh, I had known Charlie all my life. Mm. Now, me and his, his children come up together, and Daddy and Charlie was good friends. I actually wasn't friends with Charlie. There was a big age difference there during the time. But I knew Charlie because we all used to fish together, and Daddy and uh, Charlie hung out, and they fished together, and they'd take us along. But I knew all of his children, and uh, when I needed a job, Daddy said, just call Charlie. So I called Charlie, and he was working down here at the F.B. Walker's Sun Shipyard and asked me to come down and go to work for him. So I figured that was a dream job because actually I had a 16-hour-a-day job seven days a week, and I was fixing to get married, and I wanted something normal. Mm-hmm in my life so i moved down charlie and i went to work the first day i filled out my paper that morning and we went out and put in about seven hours in the shipyard working and it was hot for an october day well we got off work charlie said there's a good fishing spot down here of course i jumped on that i was young and i had always went fishing with him so you know it sounded like fun to me i didn't have nothing else to do we went and got uh, his fishing equipment. I didn't have mine with me. So we went and picked his up. We drove to a place called No Shaw Peter Shipyard. And he used to be a big grain elevator there where they'd unload these ships. And that grain would fall off in the water. And uh, the fish would come up and feed mm. on that grain. And Charlie had caught a lot of fish there. And he was telling me all about it. And I was pretty ribbed up about it. So when we got to the shipyard, I noticed it was just uh, a big mess. It was tall marsh grass, and that, that's what, just before the grass start uh, dying off in October. But it was a, and then the, the water had washed a lot of debris up on the shore that washed out from everybody's house and all. And... It was just a real mess, and there was a no trespassing sign up. I said, Charlie, you think we need to be fishing here? They said, no trespassing. Oh, don't worry about it. Nobody ever comes here. It's abandoned. So we walked on down. It took probably 25, 30 minutes to get to the point where we was going to fish. But while we were fishing, we got settled in, sitting on an old steel pier and looking across the river. And I was looking at a big old steel boat sitting out there, and I was wondering to myself, now how in the world does something made out of steel float? And that still bothers me to this day. But uh, I noticed some blue lights coming across, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, we're trespassing, and they coming to run us off or give us a ticket or take us to jail or something. Well, I... Charlie must have seen them about the same time because we both stood up and turned around and looked. And then all of a sudden, the blue lights just kind of faded out to one big bright light. That has to be the brightest light I've ever seen in my whole life. So uh, it was blinding there for a second. And before we could really get her, or, now I'm speaking for myself, I can't speak for Charlie from now on. Mm-hmm. 
but before we could get our vision back, uh, this craft had set down probably a hundred yards behind us, and about halfway up, I could see three bulky figures coming toward us. And I was thinking, now how in the world are they coming through that mess right here as fast as they would? But it was three robotic-looking creatures when they got to us. They had kind of gray skin. They didn't have a neck. They was real bulky-looking and not very tall. And they had looked like mittens on their hand or crab-like hands is the way that I described them before. And two of them got a hold of Charlie and one got a hold of myself. And immediately when they got a hold of us, it was like they just – just relaxed. I mean, I couldn't move nothing except for my eyeballs. I could move my eyes and roll them to the side, but I couldn't turn my head and look. I couldn't resist any because if I could, I would have still been running. So uh, they got and they started, we st started approaching this one creature, kind of levitating me off the ground. And I hadn't figured out yet how it didn't break my arm or something because it was at least two foot off the ground. And I just just seemed effortlessly, just like a big bunch of helium balloons was tied to me and floating me up. And they just kind of floated me across the top of the marsh grass towards this craft. Well, the door was already open, and that's where the bright lights was coming from as we approached the craft. And I was trying to look but I couldn't turn my head to see what, how big it was and what was going on and try to see the best that I could where the lights was coming from because the lights was coming from outside, inside I meant, but there wasn't no light fixtures or anything. It was just, looked like it was coming out of the walls. And when we stepped inside, it just looked like they kind of dimmed down, but, uh, I know they didn't, you know, or didn't feel like they did, but that's, I just had that feeling that they kind of dimmed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And they made a left turn, and then he made another right turn, and they took me into a separate room in there. Now, I hadn't seen Charlie since uh, they picked us up and brought us aboard, so I don't know where he was at this time, but I imagine the ship was pretty big. They might have took him to another room. Well, they laid me on an examination table, and voila, and it was about a 45-degree angle, and there was something about the size of a deck of cards, and with silver on the bottom that come out. I couldn't see the rest of it, but it come down about two foot in front of my head, and you could hear it click, then it went to the side. Now, how it rotated around my head, I have no idea. But it clicked again. It clicked four times, and then it just shot back up into the ceiling. Well, when that happened, the old big ugly thing that brought me in here, and I call him that because it's just easier to describe him that way, and I feel like he was mechanical because the way that he moved and uh, all, you know, just seemed like, he didn't have to think to do it. It was just somebody was doing it for him or something. So he was backed up out of the way. And then there's this little feminine looking creature that come out. 
and we just had an artist do kind of a sketch of it, and it looks almost identical to it. Uh, so, you know, I'll post that one day or send it to you. But that'd any, be great. I think it's on your Facebook now. It's on my Facebook page. Okay. But anyhow, the little feminine creature, and I call it a she because I didn't. I don't know yet that it is. Don't didn't know then. But you know how you get that feeling that you're a male and there's a female present, mm-hmm. or maybe a female has a feeling and it's a male present. Well, that was just a feeling that I had that it was a female. And I couldn't prove it because I rolled my eyes to the side when she come up. And she took her hands, and I noticed her hand. I didn't notice her hand because she reached right across my face and put one of her fingers down my throat. But I noticed she had fingers, and they was fairly long fingers. And she reached up, kind of going toward my sinus cavities. Well, that... That hurt pretty bad just then. But as she was doing that and the pain started, I don't know how she knew it was hurting. I guess the look in my eyes or whatever. But she just telepathically, now I say telepathically because her mouth didn't move at all, sent a uh, message that says, we're not going to hurt you. And she took her finger back out and that's when she kind of mumbled from the bottom of her throat. It was a, like a goon, goon. And the big, ugly creature, the robotic-looking creature, came back over, grabbed me by the arm, and immediately when he grabbed me by the arm, it relaxed me. So he carried me back out. Oh, she went back into her room. He levitated me back up, carried me back out to uh, the river, and set me down in almost identically the same spot he picked me up, except for I was facing the river then. And this is the first time I heard Charlie. He said, son, son, you okay? And uh, I turned around and looked. And about the time we both uh, got turned around there and looking, the craft, the bright lights went off, and the craft just picked up about 25 foot off the ground. It looked like it just shot up like a missile. I mean, it was just a streak of light, like like lightning going through the sky and just disappeared. Wow. So Charlie said, well, sit down. Let's talk about this for a minute. I was thinking, are you crazy? I I don't really want to sit down and talk about it. I just want to go. Mm -hmm. But, But anyhow, we sat down for a few minutes and I said, Charlie, Look, we don't need to tell nobody about this because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I have no idea what happened. And up till this date, I had no idea what a UFO was or an abduction was or anything. I've never mm-hmm. heard of because I was just an old country redneck, uneducated country redneck boy from Mississippi. We had one little small black and white TV, about a 13-inch, and it had to have rabbit ears on it to work. And you got three stations, NBC, CBS, and ABC. You didn't hear such as this. Mm -hmm. So we didn't listen to the radio because we didn't have one to sit around and listen to. So I had no idea what was going on, but I knew it was bad, and I knew 
we would have a really hard time explaining this to somebody. I was engaged to get married in November, and I did, sure didn't want to go home and explain that to uh, her father because he was strict. Right. So I said, boy, I've, you know, let's not tell nobody, Charlie. Oh, we, we won't. We won't. So we got up, got our stuff, and went back to the car. And that's when I noticed when we got to the car, all the windows on the passenger side that was facing the crowd was shattered in place. They hadn't fell out yet, but they was just shattered in place. Now, when he reached and opened the door, the passenger side window on the front driver's side fell out, just fell down in little crumbles. So I figured that was a safety glass, or somebody told me later on, that they had a safety glass in there to keep it from cutting you in case you had a wreck and they had plastic in there and that was probably holding that glass in. Mm -hmm. But we cranked on the car probably 15 minutes. Now at this time, the car had less than 20,000 miles on it. Never had no trouble with it, but this thing would not crank. But I did notice one thing, the battery, y'all, didn't try to run down on it or nothing. But it finally cranked up. It run really bad. But just as soon as it got cranked, we left. Charlie said, we need to call. We need to tell somebody. I said, what did we just talk about, Charlie? We don't need mm-hmm. to tell nobody. He's, he said, well, there's a curb store up here. Now, for anybody that, that didn't know, you know, back in, they wasn't cell phones. And, uh, the curb stores had pay phones on the outside. So I pulled up to a pay phone and let him call somebody. I said, well, he can call. We'll get out of here. Then he can deal with that later on. But he called Keesler Air Force Base out of Biloxi, Mississippi. And they told him, we don't deal with uh, any abductions or UFOs or anything. I heard him trying to tell them what happened. They said, for you to call your local authorities, which would be the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. So Charlie come back to the car and got another dime, put it in the phone. And we called the Jackson County, or he called the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. So they said, well, we'll we'll be there in just a minute. And they wasn't lying when they said a minute. They must have been right on top of us because they showed up at the store Walked up to the car, looked in it, got me out, and gave me a field sobriety test, and um, checked to see if we was drinking and all, and said, follow us to the sheriff's department. So they let us follow them back to the sheriff's department, and when they, we got there, they separated us. They put him in a room and me in a room. Well, they came in and interrogated us, and... Uh, course i told them just as very little as i could i figured the best thing to tell them is you know i just didn't know maybe maybe i was sleeping and dreamed this or something but anyhow and i'm they, sure because of your hesitation and i know I've, I've read some of this you you didn't want to talk to anybody like you said and you thought you weren't going to so at this point you've got to be feeling pretty uncomfortable i was feeling way uncomfortable i was young I didn't want to go back uh, back over to where it was, and I figured the sheriff's department was going to make us. 
And uh, they come in, they said, now look, when they first started, they said, look, if this is a hoax, you're going to jail for a long time. And I remember specifically saying, I had rather be in jail than I had where I was. That's how much better it would be. Hmm. And I, just here recently, I talked to the uh, detective that uh, come out and picked us up. Uh, they did an interview with him, and he's getting on and retiring. He said that uh, when he first heard about it, he laughed. He, he said he wasn't going to laugh because they said, don't laugh when you hear this. He said, but when they told me what happened, I laughed. He said, but when I met you, Calvin, he said, I felt so sorry for you. He said, you were scared to death. And I was. And uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of, and that interview is posted online through the Sun-Herald. But, uh, you know, he, he, he said, I've never seen that kind of fear in anybody. And it was not just him. It was two or three local officials there. Well, when they put us back in the same room together, what we didn't know is they put in a tape recorder inside a drawer. And I didn't find this out until after I got ready to uh, write the book. And they had this tape recorder inside a drawer, and uh, they was listening to us talking there probably 30 minutes. And that's what they call the secret tape. And I've just recently, you know, not long ago, read up on it and I remember very well what was said and the fear that was in it and that's what convinced them that something had really happened and uh, that they said that you know there's no way you could act out fear like this if we did we needed to be in Hollywood as actors (laughs) did they treat you differently so for instance um they were probably very skeptical uh, when you first arrived and were telling your story. But once you came out of that room where they recorded you, were they? did they treat you differently? Uh, did they seem to be taking you more seriously? They took me serious then. Now, like you said, when they was carried us in there, I know what it was going to be. They was going to have a good laugh, a good joke, spank her hand a little bit, and pass it off. But... uh once they got got to listen to that tape and got to interviewing us and all, then they got really serious. Serious enough that they called the sheriff, Fred Diamond, and told him to come down. And he was in bed asleep at this time. So he got up and come to the sheriff department. And he walked in and talked to us for a little bit. And he said, why don't y'all go home, get some rest. And we're going to go out to where this happened and look. Now, whether they ever went out there or not, I don't know. And that's one problem I have with uh, investigators. Now, to me, this was uh, a kidnapping in a way, and they should have went out and put put up uh, police tape, barricaded everything off, had somebody stay out there. Then the next day, they should look for evidence. And and they didn't do that because, you know, we could see – Almost from the bridge when we went by, there hadn't been nobody down there. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also almost, you know, to, if, from their perspective, if they believe you, and they're even thinking, you know, whatever took you was really creepy, um, it, it might have been they were like, well, we don't want anything to do with that. So uh, they're back, they're safe, we're just going to leave that alone. 
Well, that's kind of the way that I sensed it from. Now, to be honest with you, like I say, I didn't know what a UFO or what I really figured it was at the time that it happened. The shipyard is a few blocks below there, Engel Shipyard, and they build stuff for the military. And I thought they might be something that uh, they had built and some old rednecks got out and going to fly around and pull a joke on us and pick <laughs> us up and laugh about it. So, oh, interesting. And I, uh-huh. And I wish that's what it was. But, right. Uh, when Dr. Heineck and I all come down, it got the sheriff's department stared up. They investigated every scenario they could. Plus, we went to Keesler. Uh, Dr. Uh, Heineck made sure that we went to Keesler Air Force Base and we got a good physical. At, from uh, the local hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, it was my plan. I knew that something had to happen because I believed hard enough that there was something bad wrong with us after that, hmm. that uh, we might have had some kind of disease or something or radiation going to give it to somebody. So I insisted to uh, the shipyard that they get the deputies come down there and pick us up the next day and take us for a physical. Mm-hmm. And, and they did that and they found a puncture mark in my arm. Hmm. And then they took us on into Keesler. But the next day when we got to work, I mean, they couldn't conduct business. I don't know how the press found out. Still oh, don't wow. day. But it was thousands not hundreds, but thousands of reporters from all wow. over calling in. So we're going to get more into this. We've got to take a short break, and then we're going to be right back. So uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, you'll hear a short musical interlude. Uh, for the rest of you, you'll hear some commercials. But uh, we'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Calvin Parker, right after this. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we have Calvin Parker, who had an extraordinary experience in 1973, the year I was born, it so happens, uh, in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And you were talking about when you got back to work, uh, the media had uh, somehow found out about your encounter, and you said your work had thousands of, of what press people there, I guess, with cameras and, and everything. It did. You, they couldn't get in the gate. Matter of fact, we brassed in. That's the same thing as clocking in on time clock. And we went in, and they called us immediate to the office. They said, I don't know what's going on, but we can't get our phone lines freed up. We can't conduct business in here as long as y'all around here. Y'all can't be on the yard because everybody's going to want to talk to y'all. So I'm going to pay y'all to take off a couple of weeks and get away from here so we can get back to our business. But in the meantime, we've got to do a press release. Now, I'm going to uh, call my company attorney, Joe, Joe Comingo, 
that represents us to come down and y'all tell him what happened and he can do a press release for the press and all. Maybe we'll get some of these people out of here. So uh, that's what happened. And he set up then for us to go to the hospital and the Keesler to get checked for radiation. And the shipyard handled all the press releases. And it was just amazing at the things that was going on. It was just happening. So we left there and we went to the hospital. Then we went into Keesler. And when we got to Keesler, the sheriff's department had come down their cell to the shipyard because the media was so bad, but they came down and put us in a patrol car and did the running around just to keep the media away from us also. And I guess to kind of protect us away from everybody. When we got to uh, Keesler, there was guys standing, well, they just uh, flagged us on in the gate. We didn't even have to stop when we got there. And they took us on back to a building somewhere in the back. And these guys were standing there in these radiation suits with guider counters, I guess. And they stepped us out one at a time and made, separated everybody from us. And they checked us for radiation. And, of course, it was nothing, maybe just a little bit above normal on me. And the reason why, I was working in the oil field for uh, Slumberger, and they uh, run radiation tablets and checked the de- uh, size of the hose and all. And, you know, so that's that would explain me having a little more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But, Did you eventually then suffer any physical uh problems from the this uh, incident do you believe yeah i really do believe uh believe i did i think that it affected me mentally so bad that it affected my health and i know that's hard to understand for for a lot of people but uh you know i went days and days and days i couldn't sleep i i'd lay down i'd sleep an hour and get up and walk around i still do that till to this day just because I guess I got in the habit of it. But it led later on into me having a stroke and uh, two open-heart surgeries. But I just, I'm like an old watch. I just keep ticking. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So, uh, a couple questions. Um, first of all, uh, in the images, you know, of of the creatures that you all saw from uh, back then and and since... They have around their heads these spikes, kind of like uh, rose um, thorns, rose bush thorns, or something. Um, do you remember those? Could you share like what you you felt that was, or what those looked like? Now, to be real honest with you, that was on the big gray creature, the the big robot creature that brought us in. The big ugly one. The big ugly one, and I don't remember seeing that. Charlie described that to mm-hmm. a sketch artist at the shipyard, and uh, come up with him. But I've never—I I just seen kind of a blurred-looking face on them when I seen them, and I think that was due to the light where they carried me in. Mm-hmm. Now the female creature inside the the, the shipyard—I seen or the one I call female inside the ship. She, you know, she, I could see all her facial features. She had regular ears, mouth, nose, everything just like kind of a human. 
except she didn't look human, but she, you know, resembled one. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that's so strange, huh? And then uh, you had said earlier that uh, in one day, you know, you had started your job and the next day you lost it. So soon after, even after all this media and stuff, uh, you left. That's right. Now, let's say this happened on the 11th, on the 12th. We took care of all of our uh, business with Kiesler and all that. Well, that night, Dr. John Allen Hynek flew in on his own dime, him and Dr. Harder, and they wanted to see us on the 13th. And when they told me I could go, I lit out of there. I left. But... uh, Dr. Heineck, uh, now he did go to the site and all and try to investigate it, but the the marsh grass and all was so tall that he couldn't even get in and get a good look at it. But uh, mm-hmm. And he uh, seemed to take you all very seriously. He did. He, I, I didn't know who the world he was. I just known him as Dr. Heineck, and I thought he was some kind of doctor to see if he was crazy or not. And I guess in one sense he was. And just when I started doing the book, I started reading up on him. and Because I stayed out of this. Uh, mm-hmm. I did meet Bud Hopkins in 93. I, Bud Hopkins hypnotized me in 1993. And I did get to meet him. But until 93, I didn't know who Bud Hopkins was. But what I know, I was missing some time, and I wanted to account for it. And a friend of mine, a very well-educated friend, was down. He said, look, there's a man that wrote a book on missing time, and I live in Tampa, Florida. And he said, "Uh, they're doing a conference or something there. I thought, well, what's a conference? I still didn't know. I didn't keep up with none of it. He said, let me take you down there. So he did. He loaded me and my wife up. We went to Florida. Well, uh, I said, now, look, I don't want none of these people here, this UFO conference, to know me. I said, they probably won't know me. or, But if you mention my name, they could. I said, I'm not going in. Would you go in and get him? He said, I'd be glad to. So he did. He went in and told Bud that Calvin Parker was out there. I wanted to see him for a minute. And Bud said, tell him I want to see him. Tell him I want to see him to wait. Y'all go to my room. So we went to Bud Hopkins' room, and we waited on him probably 35, 40 minutes, and he showed up. And we talked probably a couple of hours. Then he said, let me hypnotize you. I can help you, I believe. And I agreed to it. I'd never been hypnotized in my life. Well, I didn't know Bud from anybody. Mm-hmm. I told the friend that was with me, I said, there's a ball back in my car. Go get that ball back stand here. If he starts putting stupid stuff in my head, beat him to death with it, and I'll take the blame. I said, I, I don't know if I'd be hypnotized or not, but that was hypothetically me speaking in front of Bud just mm-hmm. to let him know how serious I was because I didn't want to know nothing about it. And he put a post-hypnotic suggestion in my head that the only way I would remember it if I remembered it on my own that I wouldn't remember nothing I talked about in that unless I started remembering it and I could remember then on my own. So even after the book come out, I didn't know I was hypnotized. Uh, Philip, the publisher of the book, 
uh, got this information I had mentioned to him just out of thing. I said, you know, I didn't know what all this was, and I met Bud Hopkins. Oh, you did? I said, yeah, he hypnotized me. He said, well, Bud's passed away now. Well, I didn't know that. And uh, he said, let me, let me see what I can do. So he called Dr. Jacobs. Dr. Jacobs had Bud's old files and all, and he had the original tape where I was hypnotized, a little cassette tape, and they sent it to Philip. And Philip sat there and listened to it and transcribed it out into the book, every little word of it. Mm-hmm. So I never heard it. And then when they sent the book back for me to prove, I was looking in there and it said Calvin Parker's hypnosis. I said, hell, I never was hypnotized. <laughs> so I started reading on it just a little bit. And it shocked me. My wife and my mother was sitting out on the back screen porch. And I went out there. I said, I was hypnotized. I didn't realize. I didn't know this. And uh, I talked about a lot of stuff, but I stopped reading about it because I didn't want to put thoughts in my mind. And it shocked me. Did you ever read it then? Did you ever finish reading it? I never. To this day, I hadn't read it. Just in that book. Wow. started remembering it. And i tell you what uh, triggered my memory. Linda Howe did a, uh, interviewed me, and she did a lot of homework. I mean, a lot of homework. And uh, she come up with stuff that I didn't think nobody else knew because I didn't talk about. And she started asking me some questions. And then she mentioned something about where I was hypnotized in there. And all of a sudden, all this stuff just started flowing into my brain. And it wasn't because I read it. It's because I remembered it just like it was the trigger that Bud had put in there. Mm-hmm. So, you wow. know, Bud, he he put a part of, uh, part of history or brought out a part of history in my mind that I wouldn't have been able to deal with then but I can deal with now mm-hmm. or not have much trouble dealing with it. And I, I appreciate him for that, although I never will get a chance to tell him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so that, it, what do you remember then? What did he, uh, what was he able to kind of drudge up in your mind um, that you recall well, currently? Well, uh, the first thing that happened that really got my attention was in 73. When we was leaving, there was a car parked out there. Or when we came in, it was a car that was parked there. And I remembered the tag number per verbatim off the car. And I looked it up, and I couldn't find the man that it belonged to, but I found a couple, that, and they had got married. They was out there parking, and they had got married. And he recently died, and she was in a nursing home. And uh, she said, yeah, we was there. We seen it. Well, she made me promise not to uh, mention her name because, you know, she just didn't want that kind of publicity on her. But I actually remembered the tag number, the kind of car and everything. Well, that's when I knew this hypnosis stuff was legitimate because I really didn't even remember the car too much. And then in 93, I was fishing. I went, told my wife I was going to Cat Island, and uh, that's uh, six miles away from where I live by water. So I got in a boat, and I went out to Cat Island. I said, now, look, I'll be back before dark, because during this time, 
I didn't fish at night any. I said, I will be back before dark. If not, call the Coast Guard. So uh, while I was fishing, it was about noon, and I was fixing to eat my lunch. And I woke up. It was dark. I said, now, how did this happen? My lunch was still there, but it was 4 o'clock in the morning. So that was from noon that day to 4 o'clock the next morning. That was a lot of time that I couldn't account for. And uh, Bud filled in the blanks. It was actually another reduction uh, in this period where they had attempted to get a uh, uh, something out of my nose. And that got me thinking back. Well, you know, she did put her finger in my nose. So they had must have put a transmitter in my nose. And there was blood all over my T-shirt. The next day I knew the blood was there. And I just threw the shirt away. And I wish I hadn't because it might have been, you know, I know it was some of my blood, but it might have been some of hers too. They could have done some kind of DNA from it. Mm-hmm. But I think that they attempted to take that, take that out and was going to put it back in and everything turned real sour on it. And like I say, it'd take, it'd take three or four hours to tell the full story. And it's just unbelievable stuff. If you didn't uh, experience or wasn't sitting there, you'd say, well, you know, he's just sitting here dreaming this stuff up. But honestly, I'm not. Well, and this whole thing had, had a big, uh, effect on you so for instance uh like you said you left i mean this whole thing made you leave because you didn't want anything to do with this now um charlie he went on and he did a lot of talking about uh the whole incident and everything but uh you obviously you didn't want anything to do with it um but it seems like it's still you you couldn't run from it you can't run from what uh you felt and, and i guess the trauma that you experienced well, that's another reason that I brought, went ahead and did the book. I wanted to run from it. I, I would have been happy never to talk about all this anymore. I was through with it. We were sitting, we had company that flew in from Seattle, Washington, and a reporter showed up on my back doorstep unannounced with uh, AB, uh, uh, Associated Press and just barged himself in. And what I wanted to do to him, I'm glad I didn't, because I would have put a world of hurt on him. But uh, he just barged into the door and done an interview in the back door. And I didn't like it. I said, well, you know, I got to stop this somehow. And then the next incident, what the book came out about, we was at a friend's wake. He had just passed away. And this is the recent book? This is the recent book, Uh yes, sir. And we was at a neighbor at a friend's wake, and he had passed away. And I signed the uh, log in, the visitation log. People started recognizing my name and coming up, asking me questions. That wasn't right. You don't do something like that. Take away from this man's family mm-hmm. and their grieving time and sit there and give a report to everybody that's just curious over what had happened. So I told my wife, let's go. We got in the car and left, and she said, maybe you ought to write a book. Well, I don't have the education to write a book. So I said, well, you know, I'll get a ghostwriter and we'll do it. I knew that would never happen. I never would let a ghostwriter do it. So we got home, 
The next day, I woke up out of bed, and Philip was calling me on Charlie's book to ask me some questions in there. And we got to talking, and I said, he asked how I was doing, and I said, well, you know, I'm not. Now, all this is going on. He said, Calvin, to get everybody off your case, do yourself a favor. Write a book. Document it. It's there. Now, these people can't aggravate you and worry you and see it. He said, just accept it and go with it. So that's when it made a lot of sense to me. If I go ahead and get it out, I've never talked about, up until then, I had never talked to my friends, never talked to my family about this. If somebody wanted to talk about it, I'd turn around and walk away. So my family never asked me questions. My friends never did. And the people here in Jackson County never asked me questions because I wouldn't talk to them. So that's when I decided it's time to do a book and put it out here, let the world read it. So that's what I'm going to do for one year. I'm going to sit here and talk about this and do, go to these conventions and uh, give interviews and all. Then, then I'm going off grid in a year. I'm not going to be like a lot of people and make a habit of going to these conferences every year. Hello? Hello? Oh, sorry about that. Oh. oh let so me make a note. I got to edit this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me start up again. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't be the only one, I mean, to, to feel this way. And, and I think it lends a lot of credibility to your story that you did not, you know, seek attention, that you just the opposite occurred. And, um, you know, that uh, you're certainly not out there bolstering the story. Uh, and, uh, you know, that the story has remained uh, the same the entire time. Yes, sir. And, and I feel like it was time... I don't want to die. I'm not in good health right now. And as I told somebody before, I got an expiration date here. And I don't want to die leaving my family in the air, my friends in the air, and uh, the people really not knowing what happened. Now, mm -hmm. whether it makes, makes a difference to them or not, it don't matter to me. The point is they need to know I need to tell them what happened and get the story out there. And then, like I say, after I deal with this a year, I'm not going to be like a lot of these people that go to these conferences every year and try to get this little bit going on. I'm going off grid. Mm -hmm. They won't They won't hear from me no more. That'll be the end of it. Go back to fishing. Go back to fishing. If you find me, it'll be on that water somewhere. And I'm a bit surprised that you, uh, through all of this, even with the, the Bud Hopkins uh, memory, uh, that you have not been deterred from fishing at all? That's my only release. Mm. I fish it. Sometime I get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I go out and I park the boat and I just look up in the sky, look at the stars and all, think what a beautiful place this is mm -hmm. and how wonderful it is and how could somebody not feel like it's life on another planet? Because you look at all these stars out there and all these stars has got a... Uh, planets around them I imagine mm -hmm. and it's just too many chances that it is and God you know and I strong believe in God 
and I'm sure that he put other life here besides us. Mm-hmm. It would make sense. Um, but you know what? I'm I'm really glad that in this window, first of all, I lo- Philip's great. He writes for OpenMinds.tv, and uh, I think you've hooked up with a, a great person there in Philip Mantle. Um, so happy to hear that. But uh, I'm also really happy that during this window of, of you coming out and talking about your experience, I've not only been able to interview you, but uh, I'll probably be the one to interview you at the UFO Congress coming up, uh, which you're going to be a, a part of as well. Super exciting. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yep, we'll absolutely do our best to make sure that you have a wonderful experience and uh, because I'm confident that you will be providing a wonderful experience for the audience. I'm going to do my very best, and I'm going to be open to any questions they want to ask or anything. You know, I just, I've got where I just love to be around people. Mm-hmm. Well, there'll be plenty of people to meet there, and uh, one of the reasons I am confident that uh, all the audience there will have a wonderful experience is because I had a wonderful experience doing this interview, which we're already out of time uh, for. Oh, it don't seem like it's been that long. I know. It seems like five or ten minutes, but we've already gone through our whole 45. So thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. It's fascinating. Um, You know, there's just the world is just more mysterious than any of us even really suspect. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to meeting you at the convention. Yep, that's going to be a lot of fun, and maybe I can do some research and find some good uh, fishing spots out here you can go enjoy while you're in the the Phoenix area. I've already checked them out. i got a big lake over in uh, camping spots. Oh, perfect. All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Calvin Parker for being on the show. And how cool is it that Martin was the one who connected uh, Calvin with Philip Mantle? I never knew that. You can find out more about uh, these latest books at the Flying Disc Press. That's Philip Mantle's publishing house where he's publishing these books. And that's flyingdiscpress.blogspot.com. You can also find these books on Amazon.com. And I'll have links in the show notes, whether you're listening on YouTube or elsewhere. Uh, You'll be able to find those links at openminds.tv. In fact, links to all of the news that Martin and I talked about this morning, you can find them all at openminds.tv, including the information about the Bob Lazar movie that's coming up, this brand new trailer that Jeremy let us be the first to release out there to the public, and this little spot on Mickey Rourke and our exclusive kind of comment from Mickey Rourke about UFOs. So, Check all that out at openminds.tv, and then the link to the Den of Geeks story will be in that openminds.tv story as well. So lots of really, really cool stuff there. Speaking of cool stuff and the holidays coming up, we've really beefed up the UFO Congress store. So go to ufocongress.com. You'll be able to get to the store there, or just go straight to store.ufocongress.com. So if you've watched my UFO Seriously Live uh, videos that I've done 
on YouTube at 6 p.m. on Thursdays than you will have seen on the last couple this hovering UFO lamp speaker thing. Or maybe you saw the lamp speaker thing at uh, AlienCon when we were there. Well, we've got a few of those left. Uh, we're getting more, but uh, they're super cool. So check that out. We've also got more T-shirts. We've got hoodies, all kinds of stuff. One of the great things about our website or the Congress being ran by a woman is that we've got more women styles. Also, we've got these LED lights where these aliens look like they're 3D. They're really cool. Everybody always sees ours at a conference. They're like, where can I get that? Where can I get that? And we've been looking for them. We got one as a sample and we've been, but we found them. So we've got tons coming in and they're only like 20 bucks. So You'll find those at UFO Congress uh, store in the next few days. So we've got more videos going up about our products and stuff like this. We just want to get ramped up so you know all of the cool stuff that we've got for the holidays. So if you're shopping for a UFO or alien enthusiast, of course, if you're a listener, then you need to send the link to our store to your loved ones so they know where to buy you cool stuff. So we're trying to hook you up here, people. So check all that out. Otherwise, I want to thank Martin Willis of Podcast UFO for joining us with the news. I want to thank Caleb Hanks for the opening and closed music, Systematics for the bumper music. And of course, as always, I want to thank you, the listener, for one, for being here, for two, saying hi at AlienCon or at the Blue Book screening, whichever I saw you at. And, you know, I love you guys for being here. So thank you so much for listening. We'll have another great show next week. Until then, adios muchachos.